A couple days ago, myself, our host Eric Weinmayer, and maybe 50 others were sitting in an auditorium with our eyes closed. My knees were pressed up against the seat back in front of me. My arms were pinned beneath the hard wooden armrests. I was not comfortable. However, and I know this is going to sound a bit out there, but minutes later, I found myself floating. Floating in space. I don't know how else to describe it. I could no longer feel the pressure points in my knees and arms. Where was I? I was on my way to a state of hypnosis. I was about to have a conscious conversation with my subconscious mind. That's the way our guest today describes it, Dr. Vitor Friedman. Dr. Friedman was leading a group hypnosis experience at the No Barrier Summit, intended to give us a small glimpse into that process. That day was about reprogramming our response to stress and anxiety. However, the potential here runs so much deeper, as you'll hear. Pain management without narcotics, surgery without anesthesia, yes. As a matter of fact, there's been successful implementations of hypnosis in lieu of anesthesia during surgery, and much more. I hope you enjoy this conversation between Dr. Friedman and Eric Weinmayer. I'm producer Diedrich Jonk, and this is the No Barriers Podcast. It's easy to talk about the successes, but what doesn't get talked about enough is the struggle. My name is Eric Weinmayer. I've gotten the chance to ascend Mount Everest, to climb the tallest mountain in every continent, to kayak the Grand Canyon, and I happen to be blind. It's been a struggle to live what I call a no barriers life, to define it, to push the parameters of what it means. And part of the equation is diving into the learning process and trying to illuminate the universal elements that exist along the way. In that unexplored terrain between those dark places we find ourselves in and the summit exists a map. That map, that way forward, is what we call no barriers. Hey everyone, this is Eric Weinmayer. Welcome to the No Barriers podcast. We weren't even planning a podcast today, but we're up here at our No Barriers Summit, and it's in Estes Park, Colorado, at the YMCA of the Rockies. It's a beautiful, sprawling uh, campus up here in Estes Park, right at the foothills of Long's Peak and some of these beautiful mountains at Rocky Mountain National Park. And we're right in the middle of the summit. We have so many amazing people joining us at the summit that we thought on the fly we'd do a couple podcasts. So it's really awesome that you're here, Vidor, and you're about to, uh, this afternoon, do a hypnosis clinic for our community. And I, you and I got in a really interesting conversation um, at the beginning of the summit a couple nights ago. And so I want to definitely interview you and pick your brain about hypnosis, about some of your alternative uh, therapies um, and and just about your evolution as a physician, as a human being, as you began to kind of blend Eastern and Western medicine together. So I'll just start by um, launching in. And, and, and so you were an emergency physician for a lot of your career. Uh, and most doctors are very focused on Western medicine. So how did you kind of start investigating and moving towards Eastern medicine? And what does that even mean? So, Eric, it's uh, great to be here with you at the summit in Estes Park, which really is incredibly beautiful. Um, the r- mountains around here are amazing. Isn't it stunning, huh? Yeah, it really is. Yeah. Um, so, to, to answer your question, it's kind of a long story. I mean, I, I started out life as 
I, I like to say I started out life as a healer, and then I became a doctor, and then I started to become a healer again. Yeah. And the way that journey sort of started out was when I was a teenager, I discovered, uh, somebody gave me this book by Carlos Castaneda. I don't even remember which one of it was. And I, Carlos was, this, uh, was an anthropologist who went down to Mexico and was working with a Yaqui Indian shaman and wrote this book, which in many ways, a lot of people think started off like a lot of the, the alternative stuff happening in the 60s. Mm-hmm. And um, it was pretty wild. And I, I, I didn't, I was 17 years old and I, I was, I'd started college and I didn't really have anybody to talk to about this stuff. But I was like, wow, this is really cool. These guys are like sending energy out and doing all kinds of funky stuff. And um, I had sort of self-taught myself how to do massage. And I was like, and I was helping people out with that. And then I started to think about, well, maybe, maybe I could do something like that. And, and so I, I started to think about sending warm, relaxing energy through my hands when I did massage. Hmm. And the more I did it, the easier it got and the more effect it had. And um, then I had some other experiences where people asked me to help them out with pain and stuff like that. And it, uh, it got to the point where it kind of freaked me out because I, I wasn't sure I could control this thing anymore. Like I said, I didn't have anybody to talk to about it. And I stepped away from it because it scared me. So you were like definitely seeing results. Yeah. No, yeah. I could. You could, could feel it. You I could, could see it. I could work on somebody's back yeah. and uh, manipulate eight points on their back and their whole back would become red with increased blood flow. And they would like feel stuff melt. You could, I could feel the, the tension in a muscle melt away. The thing that really freaked me out, though, was... A friend of mine who had, had dropped some speed to study. This was, in, you know, in the mid '70s, and people did a lot of stuff at college. Yeah, and she hadn't been able to sleep for three days. Yeah, and um, I put her to sleep, and that helped her out a lot. But it really freaked me out a lot about what what I, what the hell was I doing? And you, know, you put her to sleep like you banged her head against the wall? No, like or? I put my head on my hand <laughs> and and got her energy to relax enough for her to go to sleep Mm, cool which was pretty cool but also freaked me out yeah and so i stepped away from it you know a number of years later so i was 17 so the five years later i went to medical school which by the way i mean i'm not a doctor but i think there's zero um learning about energy in med well, school, right? Or yeah, is there? No, there isn't. Uh, Western medicine sort of acknowledges that there's a mind-body connection. Yeah. Because we all have minds and we all have bodies. And, and that's about the end of it. Right. Um, you know, we, we talk about things like placebo effect, but don't really understand it. And um, we talk about the fact that you're, and this is, you know, when I was in medical school, we didn't talk about this stuff at all, but that you know, uh, your mood has an effect on you. We, 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 we were told that as, patient, that as physicians, it was really important that our patients were compliant with our, with our care plans. Right. Right? You know. Oh, I've had some injuries, and I've had doctors give me stern lectures about being compliant. Right. Well, <laughs> what we didn't understand, though, is that um, there's a lot more to that. It's not really being compliant. 
It's that you have to buy into the therapy. Right. Like if you don't, like as, a, as a physician, I understand that if the patient comes to me and they don't believe that I'm hearing them as a caregiver, then they won't believe in the treatment. Interesting. And is there an impact to that? Yeah, there's a huge impact to that. In fact, so this is, and this is one of the, well, let me just, so any medication that you take, yeah. if you actually read the whole thing that's behind all that medication, that the, the thing that comes in the box that everybody throws out, it, or that some people look at, they look at all the side effects and freak out. But one of the things that's in there is that um, when they test a drug, somewhere between 20 to 30% of the effect of that drug is placebo. Right. Hmm. Um, that's a pretty big impact. Right. And, um, and what does that actually mean? And I started to think about that. And I started to think about the fact that in Western medicine, what we do is we treat symptoms. Right. We don't really understand root cause of virtually anything. In other words, somebody, I was an emergency physician, so it's a little bit different, but when somebody comes in and they have a problem, right. you know, if you, if you get shot by an arrow, yeah, there's an arrow sticking out of you. Obviously the, the injury is due to the arrow. We have archery clinics at the summit, so right, don't, yeah, don't the, jinx us, Fedor. Well, they've been, I, I was actually there yesterday. It was run really, really well. Good, so okay, I don't think good. it's a problem. Okay, back to the arrow, though, back metaphor. To the, back to the arrow metaphor. <laughs> so, but when you, if you have a heart attack or you have diabetes, um, we can tell you what the risk factors are for having a heart attack or diabetes, but we can't actually tell you why you got it as opposed to this guy next to you has the same risk factors who didn't get it. So maybe there's something else going on. So I started to think about this whole concept of how the mind interacts with the body and how um, in the West, we're taught that we have two nervous systems. We have uh, what's called our somatic nervous system, which is which runs your muscles mm -hmm. and, your, and, and things like uh, touch. Mm -hmm. So if I touch your hand, if I touch your right index finger, you feel it right at your right index finger. Right. That's the somatic nervous system. There's this other nervous system called the autonomic nervous system. And the autonomic nervous system is what runs the internal stuff in your body. Right. So you don't think about breathing. When we go to sleep, we don't die. Right. Because there's this autonomic, quote, automatic nervous system that's running your body. And, it, and we're also taught that we can't consciously interact with that autonomic nervous system. But we know that's not really true because there are examples like, particularly from the East, uh, yogis and uh, monks and meditators who can control parts of their autonomic nervous system. They can control their heart rate, for instance. Right. They can, there's actually a very, there was a very well-documented study where they took a monk and they put him into a very cold room. And he, the monk was able to raise his body temperature yeah. just by, through his, by his mind-body control with no external source of heat. 
And by the way, I don't want to sidetrack you, but yeah. I, I, I really need to understand this personally better because I do these huge adventures, but I'm always like, when I was kayaking, I was that, that autonomic nervous system, I think was kicking in. And I, even though on the surface, I was like, okay, I'm calm, you know, right. underneath I'm diarrhea, I'm dry heaving, you right. know what I mean? And these things are coming up from deep internally and affecting like the surface. You Absolutely. Know? And, and, I, and I don't know exactly how to control it. And I imagine most people don't. <laughs> well, I think that most people, first of all, most people don't. Yeah. And I think what, what you do is you, I think, I've never been on, on one of these expeditions with you, but I, I know you a little bit. And I think what, what you do is you just refuse to let it get in your way. Yes. So it's not that you aren't afraid. Right. It's not that you aren't feeling like crap, right. but you just, you barrel through it. Yes. Yeah, it's a thousand percent. Right. Yeah. And, and so that's one way of dealing with that, but it, but it, it's, it's not, doesn't work for everything. No. <laughs> and, and getting back to the medical side of things, the less we understand something, the, the harder it is for us to treat it. So there are things like autoimmune disorders where your body, your immune system is literally attacking yourself. Now, how the hell does that happen? We don't really understand it. Right. Uh, there's, you know, one of the things I remember in medical school was it, it, somebody told me if the more that is written about something, the less we know about it. <laughs> right. right. And so, you know, people talk about maybe it's a virus or maybe it's this and maybe it's that, but we don't really understand these autoimmune disorders. Right. Um, so anyway, so I was looking for a different paradigm, a different paradigm of illness and a different paradigm of health, actually. Um, and uh, so about 20 years ago, so I've been in health, I've been a physician for 20 years already. Yeah. Uh, my hospital asked me to go to this meeting, something called actually the Estes Park Institute. Oh, wow. Interestingly enough. Yeah. <laughs> so the Estes Park Institute, I don't know if it still exists, but it was a group of healthcare futurists. And they would, they would get together uh, once or twice a year, bring together hospital CEOs, um, and talk about what they thought was the future of healthcare. And there was a guy talking there uh, who, I don't even remember what he was talking about at the time, but it was, I mean, the guy was like Yoda. And um, I went up to him afterwards and I talked to him, and, and this was sort of my, I came back to thinking about really started to think about this whole concept of mind-body connection and maybe even something beyond that. And, and the something beyond that, when I started to get into this stuff, I started to think about consciousness and, and what is consciousness? And like, where, where is the I that I think of as I or the you that you think of as you contained, right? right? And, and we know lots of things about the brain but there's also lots of things we don't know about the brain. And one of the things we don't know about the brain uh, is, is where consciousness is. Right. So we can't point to a point in your brain and say that that's where, that's where your consciousness is. And um, maybe someday we will, but I have actually, I don't, actually, I don't think we ever will because I don't think consciousness exists within the brain. Right. Um, <laughs> 
And there's a really cool, um, it's probably a cheesy analogy, but there's a really good Netflix or uh, HBO show called Westworld. And it's all about these futuristic world where these androids are built and they're there for human pleasure. Uh-huh. And they start to kind of create a consciousness amongst the androids. Yeah. And, uh, and, and so the whole question of that film is like, where does consciousness begin, you know? Like, maybe we think we're conscious, but maybe we're not, you know? Maybe it's just our programming or biological software. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, it's an interesting question, and I don't know that we'll ever get a super clear answer about it. But I, so I, so I began to think of consciousness as something that might be external, actually that it happens to be contained within our body right now, but it does, it's not necessarily limited by our body. Huh. And one of the things that, one of the reasons I started to think about that, when I was a kid, I, I, and I still don't dream very much, but when I was a kid, about half the dreams that I did remember turned out to be deja vu phenomena, where yeah, I, I would like have the experience somewhat later in time. And you know, people think, well, it could be a projection or it could be memory. I re- clearly remember six months before I learned to speak Hebrew, I had a dream that later happened that was in Hebrew. And it happened exactly the way I dreamt it. It was like a movie reel. And th- those are really unsettling, aren't they? Those moments, right? Those deja vu moments. Well, does, it, th- does it like kind of throw you out of your normal patterns where you're like, whoa, what just happened? Well, yeah, I was trying to understand it. You yeah. know, you, you know, first you try to understand it, and, and, and then I was thinking, of like, well, all right, let me think about this for a minute. I'm having an experience prior to the experience happening. So that means that my ability to perceive the world isn't really linear. Right. So we, we think of time being linear, but that's a perceptual thing. Uh-huh. So that means my consciousness, my awareness, can somehow jump ahead of time. Wow, that's pretty interesting. So you could get freaked by it. Yeah. Or you could say, hey, that's really freaky cool. <laughs> like, wow, I'd love to have that happen again. Can I predict the future? You know, I Yeah, because what I'm hearing is like it, it bounces you out of this sense of a linear progression of time, right? Right. Like, yeah. So that, so, getting, so that brought me around to this whole concept of consciousness being maybe connected but not contained within our physical brain. Okay. And, and, and I'm not a religious guy. I never was. Um, but I'm, I've always been interested in, well, I think there's something out there. And there's this thing, spirit or soul or, you know, what, however you want to talk about it, that I think is more closely related to consciousness than what we think of as consciousness, that it's not just in our brain. So if you think, there are many people who believe in in reincarnation. Right. Well, if if you take that out, reincarnation means that the you that you think of as you or your consciousness can exist outside your body, that it actually survives your death. Right. Once again, hard to prove. Right. Um, but it's, but there's a lot of cultures where that's yeah. part of it. Yeah, I mean, isn't that kind of a Buddhist 
the thought of the idea that we all kind of come from this collective consciousness and we go back to collective consciousness when we die. Right. And there's a lot of cultures that have that embedded in them. Even Christianity has the concept of an afterlife. Right. Now, it's more contained, perhaps, than reincarnation, but it's still the concept that, that you as an individual survive your death. Right. Somehow. The, the Buddhist thing is more like, okay, you go back into this collective consciousness soup or maybe the universal consciousness and then come back out again in a mm. different way or a right. different form. So if we accept that, then you have to think about the fact that we're not just body, mind, we're body, mind, and spirit or soul. Mm -hmm. and, and it struck me that perhaps some of the injury that I was seeing or that a lot of us experience is that injury is happening at the soul level. It's, it, it may be manifesting at the physical, it may be manifesting in the mental, but it's actually originally a soul injury. Hmm. So how do you deal with that? Well, then you need to go back to the medicine man as not just a doctor, but a doctor and, and a priest. And a healer, as you would say. Right. Yeah. And can I, can I um, just pause on that? Because maybe you're getting to it, but do you think part of your evolution of this kind of thinking was due to some of the experiences you might have had as a kid? Um, like you had told me that you had, some, you had a near-death experience as a kid. Do you think that plays into some of your understanding of just your model of, of how it works? Yeah, I, I do. I, I mean, I, th I think that certainly my very, very early experiences as an infant and a child, I had a very dysfunctional mother. Yeah. And I became very, very sensitive to the emotional state of people around me. Right. And like when I was three months old, I changed uh, significantly. And, and, and I know that I consciously know that by age four, I was protecting my mother from yeah. my pain. Right, right. And so that, I think that was part of it. Um, and those near-death experiences. Yeah, like you fell as a kid. Yeah, right? no, yeah. I mean, I was gonna, you know, the, one of the things about being at No Barriers is you see all these amazing people and they have these amazing stories and they're, and they're so inspiring and, and people crash and burn and then they come back like right. a phoenix like a you phoenix know? exactly hmm. so i actually had three near i've know of three near-death experiences in my life the most dramatic one when i happened when i was seven where i was climbing and on, a, on the wall of a rock quarry and i was 35 feet up and i grabbed a handful of gravel and i fell yeah and i i I know that at the end I landed flat on my back and I bounced off the ground and I walked away from that. Mm -hmm. And you know, there's so many people that don't and I, I don't know. And why I'm not sure thought. how, but somehow that's gotta play into your worldview of Yeah, I mean uh, of consciousness, of it, spirituality, of well, you know, like my guardian angels were working overtime because right. you know, I, I shouldn't have if I if anything had been different about that fall, I would be rolling into this room. I wouldn't be walking into this room. Right. Or or dead. Yeah. I mean, you know, I it was just And there are a lot of people who are rolling around and, yeah. in this conference, right? Yeah. Uh, I mean, we just I, heard from Chris Lane last night who 
similarly fell while climbing and right and hit a rock and has spinal cord injuries and a wheelchair. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I, I, I remember my first No Barriers conference in, in uh, Park City and Josh Blue sharing with us that, you know, this is the only minority you can join in an instant. Yeah. And I've like missed joining this several times. So <laughs> yeah. I support it. Good for you. <laughs> <laughs> it's better to be lucky than yeah. good. Yeah, don't, don't join the No Barriers Club if you can help it. Well... <laughs> you know, join it emotionally, but don't emotionally, join it physically. Yeah. <laughs> this this is like the world's big one of the world's biggest rope teams. Yeah, and so we're all here for each other. Yeah, and but I totally sidetracked you. So it's okay. Yeah, and so 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 you were moving into that idea of uh, of something beyond uh, just you know uh, pharmaceuticals and right and this and whole concept of diagnosing disease yeah so this whole concept of can you how how can you affect or how can you impact um disease um the the after effect of trauma post-traumatic stress syndrome which which manifests in multiple ways for for every everybody is different right mm -hmm. um and so i came upon this thing about hypnosis is a way to um, have a conscious conversation with your unconscious mind. Uh -huh. And so it's a way to reboot, if you will, or, or affect reflexes and habits that we have. Mm -hmm. So oftentimes it's used for, well, changing habits. Uh, right. People would come to me, they want to stop smoking. They know what they, they know that smoking is bad for them. They don't really like it, um, but they can't stop smoking. And, and so hypnosis is one way to, to change that reflex because it's a habit. Now, isn't though hypnosis kind of is embraced by Western medicine at this point, right? Well, they, or, acknowledge, or no. they, they, they sort of acknowledge it. So hypnosis was used a lot more in Western medicine before the 60s, actually. Right. Uh, you know, kind of interesting. The 60s were the time when people were expanding their minds. Yeah. Through pharmaceutical means, for example. Right. Um, but, but mainstream medicine sort of stepped away from hypnosis because we had other tools. And hypnosis is one of those things where it, it's, um, it's somewhat operator dependent. So it doesn't work the same for everybody. And, and it, uh, so that it, it, its effect is less uh, consistent, if you will. Yeah. So some people do great with hypnosis and pain, for instance. So I, I actually had a great uncle who uh, had a, uh, a dental practice that was done completely using hypnosis. No, Instead of... Uh, no drugs. No drugs, no laughing no, gas. No laughing gas, <laughs> no anesthetic, no local anesthetic. It was all with hypnosis. Wow. That's not why I started to get into this, but right. it's sort of an interesting side thing. And then my wife's mother who was a nurse anesthetist was so afraid of anesthesia that when she broke her wrist and needed a needed surgery to have it fixed she had it done under hypnosis right because she didn't want drugs and you and i were talking the other day about you know the idea because i was asking about hip hypnosis i was kind of saying like i don't know if i can actually be hypnotized and you know because i have all these cliches like radio shows, you know, where the right. guy comes in and hypnotizes you into thinking you're a chicken. I'm like, come on, BS, right? But you were explaining it in a really clear, interesting way. So, yeah, the people that, 
well, first thing about hypnosis is that no one can make you do anything you don't want to do. Right. Right. You're conscious, you're aware, you're actually, you have control under hypnosis. The people that become chickens on <laughs> stages right. actually sort of want to do that. Right. They, they want the spotlight <laughs> and, the, and the hypnotist finds people who are, one, very suggestible uh -huh. and and two, actually want to be up there on the stage doing something. <laughs> right. And so th that's how those, those people get there. Yeah. You know, that's not what I'm interested in, but it does freak people out a little bit because they think it's like mind control. Right, yeah. And it's not really mind control. It's, it's, it's more of um, like a guided meditation with a goal. Yeah. And the goal is to change a habit or reflex or pattern generally. Now, there's other things you can do with hypnosis, because remember we were talking about placebo effect being 25 to 30 percent uh -huh. of the effect of any medication you take? Yeah. Well, it turns out that with hypnosis, you can induce placebo effect. You can, and what placebo effect really is, is not changing your perception, but it's that your autonomic nervous system working with your neurohormonal axis is creating the substance which is a look-alike to what you're taking. So I know that sounds like a lot. No, me, I think that's fascinating what you just said. So, yeah. so let's try to simplify yeah. it a little bit. So let's use uh, an example like um, hypothyroidism. Okay. So when you take a drug that is supposed to either make your thyroid make more thyroid hormone or replace thyroid hormone, right? if you believe in the treatment, you will actually produce some thyroid hormone on your own. Right. With hypnosis, you can get, you can help people do that. So I had a friend who uh, had Parkinson's and she'd had Parkinson's for 21 years. Uh -huh. She was on a lot of medication for it and she had it so bad that if she missed her dose, she could get to the point where she was physically frozen uh -huh. and she couldn't move. Um, so we started working together and after about three months, she had cut her, medica her regular medication dose in half, mm -hmm. which is not the way Parkinson's is supposed to work. Right. But the other thing she could do is using a post-hypnotic suggestion, she could get herself to produce enough dopamine to move out of a freeze episode on her own. Amazing. So remember, the thing about Parkinson's is either you're not producing enough dopamine or your neuroreceptors for dopamine have gotten less sensitive. Right. You know, it's, yeah. there's an imbalance there in that, in that right. dopamine but she could, she could still produce dopamine on right. her own, just not enough to meet her needs. But, but using a post-hypnotic suggestion, she could produce enough dopamine to get moving and get to her meds. And I want to hear more examples like that, because I know you're going to do some hypno hypnosis on uh, our community this afternoon. But like, as a physician or as an expert in this, you know, this, this world, how far can you take this? Like, I have a friend who's been meditating and practicing Buddhism because he was diagnosed with um, lung cancer that now spread to his brain. And he, he meditates every day. He's just, 
he's, he's under a, a Rinpoche, um, and, and, and he, it definitely has results. He, he thinks he's alive today because of that. But yet he still has to take his chemo drug or he'd be probably dead, right? right. So how far do you take this? How far can this go? You well, know what I mean? You know, I think the way that I look at it is that it, it's, these things are synergistic. And, and I don't think you should discount everything that Western medicine does. I think that there's a lot of benefit there. Yeah. But there's more that, that the individual can bring to the table. And so, like your friend with, with metastatic cancer, uh, can you reverse cancer using hypnosis? Probably not. Uh-huh. But you could, but he can affect the course of his illness. So I had a, a, another example. A friend of mine's do- uh, sister had metastatic cancer and was undergoing chemo treatment, and she she was having a really hard time with nausea, which is very, very common with chemo, chemo drugs. Right. Um, and so we were able to work together and use hypnosis and some other stuff to help her at least deal with the nausea that the chemo yes. affected. So it improved her life in that moment. Um, did we get rid of her cancer? No, but, but she, she felt better, and even the anti-nausea drugs weren't working very well, but the hypnosis worked better Amazing. than that. Um, another example, another really good example for, for using hypnosis is around pain. Okay. So one of the things that, that we understand, well, that I've come to understand, <laughs> is that there's really two components to pain. One is the actual injury, the pain, the the physical feeling of pain, and the other is the suffering that is attached to it. Yeah. And so, like, animals don't have the suffering part. Right. You know, my dog has a hip replacement, and, you know, the next day, well, he comes out of the room and he's walking on it. I just read a book that talked about this, that (laughs) animals don't have that, like, PTSD that where we sit there and, and, and shrink up into a ball because we're, we're suffering so much from the trauma that we experience. They, they somehow are able to flow through it, right? Well, they don't, they don't, they don't anticipate. They don't anticipate having right. the trauma from the injury. And then they don't have the, uh, the suffering piece is, is the... How it how it impacts you emotionally? Right. I don't think that happens to them. Right. Yeah. Um, or certainly not as much. Yes. Um, so, but here's the interesting thing about pain. Um, if when you take Motrin or ibuprofen for pain, um, it's called it's a drug called a non-steroidal anti-inflammatory, and it affects certain pain receptors in your in your body in a particular way. It turns out that the, you can block the placebo effect for ibuprofen, take away the 20 or 30% that's, quote, you, the placebo, by giving you naloxone. Now, what does naloxone do? Naloxone is a drug that blocks narcotics. Huh. So ibuprofen's not a narcotic. It doesn't interact with narcotic cell receptors at all. Mm-hmm. But the placebo effect that happens from ibuprofen is you on your own producing an endogenous or internally created 
narcotic molecule, like molecule, that uh-huh. interacts with those receptor sites. But I can, or I can, a, a hypnotist can hypnotize you so that in response, if you t- give yourself a post-hypnotic suggestion, you can produce that on your own. Because you do already. Right. Right? It's just that we're taught you can't control it. Yeah. In Western medicine. And also, I'll ask at some point, because it's connected with what you're talking about, the suffering versus the physical pain, I want to ask about, like, because we have a ton of people who have had trauma and PTSD. Right. Yeah. And that's probably the thrust of what the people will write this afternoon, right? Well. Maybe. Yeah. This, well, this afternoon, we're going to go, it's, good, it's an introduction to hypnosis. Mm-hmm. And the, the, the hypnotic session that I want to do, uh, or that I was planning to do, had is around anxiety mm-hmm. um, because that's also fairly common. Yes. I mean, everybody gets stressed, right? Heck yeah. So how do you respond to stress? Um, and it's, it's a similar thing, in fact, which is that when you, when you look at anxiety or um, uh, pain, which induces anxiety. So we talked a little bit about the placebo effect thing with pain and that with hypnosis you can produce your own endogenous opioids mm-hmm. for, uh, we don't we don't know what those molecules look like but we do know that they interact with those receptor sites so you can decrease your pain with using hypnosis and it and for some people it's enough to just do hip, hypnosis but it can also be adjunctive therapy meaning that you take your pain medication it works if you use hypnosis, you might need to take less. Yes. So the issue around anxiety is that anxiety is a, is a self-created state. Right. So meaning that some, you have a stimulus that sets off, a tr- that triggers an, an emotional response. And that emotional response internally increases the levels of epinephrine or adrenaline in your brain. Right leading to a what's called a fight or flight response. So our brains are actually programmed to be more sensitive to negative input mm-hmm. because that's how we sur- you survive in the wild. And then does your body get used to it? You know, like where you, the, the anxiety kind of works, uh, you're creating patterns. Right. So that the anxiety is like a coping mechanism or something. Well, it's, it's a response mechanism. Okay, got it. See, coping would be a little bit, because anxiety is actually an over-response to the situation. Yeah. So um, coping is, I see a cat, and I know that a tiger could eat me, All right. but a cat doesn't eat me, so I'm okay to deal with the cat. Yeah. Uh, anxiety is, I see a cat, that's a tiger, it's going to eat me. Right. I'm going to die. Yes. So that's like the over-response, yes, right? Yes, I see. So your brain is flooded with adrenaline, and you can't think rationally anymore yes. when that happens. So that's a really important concept, that if, you're, if you have too much epinephrine and adrenaline going in your brain, you don't actually think well anymore. All you can do is run from it or fight against it. Right. But you're not rational anymore. It's not a rational response. So what can hypnosis do about that? Well, hypnosis is, is a way, one of the ways that you can relax someone and help someone relax. And relaxation means you lower the epinephrine levels in your brain 
And you actually are more in what's called a parasympathetic state where you're very calm. And now you can think rationally. And one of the things that meditators do is meditators get into a very calm state. And we can talk about it from a scientific viewpoint that meditators are somewhere between alpha state and theta state in their brain waves. Mm -hmm. uh, when you're awake and alert, hopefully people listening to this are, um, <laughs> that this is interesting, uh, your brain waves are at 32 cycles per second of brain wave activity electrically when you measure it with an EEG. And um, that's called beta state. Alpha state, you're, which is kind of like daydreaming, right. or you're driving your car home and you've driven this way like a thousand times and you realize you're two exits past where you thought you were. Right. Because while you've been driving, part of your, you kind of like turned off part of your brain. Right. That's 16 cycles per second brainwave activity. And you're pretty relaxed and calm there. And you're also more suggestible there. I see. Theta state, four to eight cycles per second, is generally uh, associated with the dreaming state when you're asleep. Right. But you can be under hypnosis or in meditation, you can be awake and alert, well, you can be awake in that theta state. And huh. you're even more suggestible there. And then there's delta, which is two cycles per second, is deep sleep. Yeah. Hopefully all of us get a little bit of that every night. Uh -huh. Not very much, actually. Right. But in that state, you're, you're only two cycles per second of brainwave activity. Your brain literally is going to sleep. It's not cogitating or agitating. It's very... So being in that parasympathetic state as opposed to a high sympathetic tone or epinephrine state is actually really helpful, even if you spend only 15 minutes a day in it. Right. So what we're going to do with our hypnosis session uh, later today is we're going to do a session that's focused around that um, anxiety, that if you feel anxiety, we're going, to re we're going to build a new reflex that helps you get into more of a relaxed, parasympathetic tone. Cool. And my last question, like, because I, I just kind of am curious about the, the mechanics of it. Like, so you're trying to reduce, say, epinephrine, right? Right. And so you, you, you don't really know what epinephrine looks like or, you know what I mean? It's hard to visualize it and say, you know, throttle back epinephrine, you know? Right. So how do you, what's, what's the process that the brain goes through to affect that change? Well, the process at, at a very simplistic level, uh, you're asking your brain to respond the way you want it to, as opposed to the way it's just reflexing doing right. it. But the hypnotic process, what we do is, it generally is a, a four-step process where you relax uh, somebody mentally, physically, then you relax them mentally, usually using visualization. Um, there's a couple other little tricks you can use in there. And then once you get into that very relaxed state, uh -huh. we, uh, state our intention for what to happen. So mm -hmm. for instance, in this hypnotic section, I usually use the post-hypnotic suggestion of I am calm. Mm -hmm. And when you say that, it's going to set off a 
cascade of responses in your body and brain, and perhaps spirit, that will lower your epinephrine levels, which will lead to lower heart rate, which will lead to lower respiratory rate, which will lead you to, and then I anchor it by, you're in a very relaxed state now when you're hypnotized, you're gonna feel kind of like you are now. So you give a whole bunch of suggestions about what's gonna happen, and then you repeat that that statement five or six times under hypnosis. And I lied because one more question, so is it like one and done, or do you have to keep reinforcing it? Well, I think, it, it, while it can be one and done, for most things that you really want to work on, it's important, I think it's important to reinforce it. So you've created the habit over time. It, it's, you didn't just, it wasn't created in an instant. Right. Right. So it can't vanish in an so instant. So it's not going to vanish in an instant. Right. Exactly. So what I, what I like to do is record the session, and I believe... Are this, everything's recorded yeah. at, the, at the summit. So you can go back and hopefully download it or I'll figure out a way to get you a link to download a session that's similar so that you can say, listen to it once a day mm-hmm. and it'll be very relaxing, 15 yeah. minutes, take your time and lower your sympathetic tone for 15 minutes a day. And over time, what will happen is you'll be able to say to yourself, I am calm and be calm yeah. in spite of what's going on around you. Cool. Okay. Um, and Vidor, so if people want to learn more about hypnosis, you know, want to reach out, what, what's the best thing they should do? Well, you know, if somebody's struggling with anxiety right. or pain or, yeah. and they want to try this out, how do they, what should they do? How do they go, you know, because it's not like every doctor <laughs> does no, hypnosis. No, there, but there are a fair number of, practitioners of hypnosis around. Um, If they want to get in touch with me, we can give them my contact information and I can help uh, folks certainly within the No Barriers community. Um, I'm I'm happy to do that. Yeah, we'll have that in the notes. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, And, um, you know, I'm retired now, so I have more time. And this is one of the ways that I want to pay it forward, if you will. so. Well, I love it. And, uh, and Vidor, thank you. You're on the board of No Barriers. You're, you've been a huge supporter over the years. Uh, you've been involved like way above and beyond. And uh, I know this is important to you. So thank you for being a part of the No Barriers rope team, as we say. Yeah. And uh, looking forward to today. It's going to be right. great. I'll be there personally, so I can't wait. <laughs> I better not be balking like a chicken at the end of this session. Uh, yeah, there, there will be no chicken squat. Okay, good. All right, All right cool. Well, as long as you can again, guarantee man. that, I'm, I'm there. It's definitely right. a guarantee. All right, thanks, friend. All right, take care. All right, and no barriers to everyone. The production team behind this podcast includes producer Diedrich Jonk, that's me, sound design, editing, and mixing by Tyler Kotman, marketing and graphics support from Stone Lord, and web support by Jamlo. Special thanks to the Dan Ryan Band for our intro song, Guidance. And thanks to all of you for listening. We know that you've got a lot of choices about how you can spend your time, and we appreciate you spending it with us. If you enjoy this podcast, we encourage you to subscribe to it, share it, and give us a review. Show notes can be found at nobarrierspodcast.com. That's nobarrierspodcast.com. There's also a link to shoot me an email with any suggestions for this show or any ideas you've got at all. Thanks so much and have a great day. See you.